Hi everyone, I'm Kiana and I'd like to welcome you to Toronto Nature Now, brought to you by Met Radio in Toronto and the Toronto Field Naturalists. The Toronto Field Naturalists are a volunteer-run, non-profit nature conservation organization, connecting people with nature and wildlife in the Toronto area. If you're a regular listener, you might have noticed that the radio station's name and call letters have changed. After consultations with the Toronto Metropolitan University community and stakeholders, the decision to rebrand the station was made to better reflect our spirit and vision, and to move the station forward as a multimedia broadcaster. Formerly CJRU 1280 AM, the station is now called Met Radio, and the new call sign is CJTM. Today on Toronto Nature Now, I'd like to welcome Michael Mesher and Ben Coleman who are here to talk about the Fatal Light Awareness Program, or FLAP Canada. Michael is the Executive Director of FLAP Canada. He tirelessly advocates for bird protections at various levels of government, as well as consults with city planners across North America on developing bird-friendly guidelines and standards. Ben is the board chair for FLAP Canada and has been a board member since 2018. He studied ecology and evolutionary biology at the University of Toronto, and first heard about FLAP as part of a seminar course on urban ecology. Ben currently works at the Scarborough Health Network Foundation and enjoys biking to the Scarborough General and Centenary Hospitals through the Medaway. Here's what Ben and Michael had to say. So, hi Ben and Michael. How are you guys? Very good, thank you. It's good, thank you. Um, and today you're going to talk about the Fatal Light Awareness Program or the FLAP program in Canada. And so my first question is, who is FLAP Canada and what are its main objectives? And we can start with Michael. So FLAP Canada is a registered uh, Canadian charity focusing on the issue of bird collisions with human-built structures, namely uh, windows and brightly lit structures at night. We take on a variety of tasks, but one of our main objectives is uh, trying to get changes within the building code, uh, within various municipalities across the country, to adopt bird-friendly measures to make sure that new buildings and existing buildings are safe for birds. And we can go to Ben. Yeah, maybe I'll just add to what Michael said. Um, in addition to a lot of the policy and research stuff we do, uh, and obviously the building code being our biggest advocacy ask, um, we have a lot of volunteers who go around patrolling in different areas, especially in the GTA, uh, looking for birds that have uh, collided with windows, uh, rescuing them where possible and bringing them to the nature center. Uh, although in a lot of cases, birds that hit windows don't survive, and then we collect them for uh, science. And uh, having been mentioned that, uh, to date, we picked up 174 different species of birds just within the Toronto region, and 21 of those species are at-risk species. So these are these are birds that aren't like your, your Canada goose or your house sparrow or your starling. These are birds that are just passing through our region, uh, just not at all familiar with the built environment. Wow, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, this is kind of just a random question that popped up. Is there a specific species that you see more often than others? Michael, go ahead. Yes, there are. There are. Uh, an example of birds that we would find more commonly at night would be a bird called the up and bird. It's a member of the warbler family. Um, during the day, uh, a more common species would be the golden crowned kinglet. Now, for most people, if, if you're not an avid birder, those those names wouldn't mean anything to you, which is another reason why 
you know, th this is so important to focus on because again, we're dealing with some species of birds that, that are extremely vulnerable to a, for a variety of reasons in terms of their population. And um, un unfortunately, bird collisions with buildings is just one of them. Great, thank you. Um, and so my next question is, why do birds collide with windows and how big of a problem is it? And we can go to Michael. So uh, again, there's two reasons that birds are colliding with lit structures in, in the areas that we focus on. There's bright lights at night. Uh, when it comes to collisions at night, these, these neotropical migrating birds, they migrate, migrate throughout the night and then they rest and feed uh, during the day. The bright lights of tall structures, for lack of a better term, attract these birds. They'll, they'll fly toward those lit environments where they either circle in that light source until they drop from exhaustion, or they, they'll collide outright with the structures, with the lit structures. Sometimes, if the numbers are great enough, they even collide with each other. And uh, you can have uh, single events of birds colliding at a single structure in, in the hundreds, even the thousands. An example I can give you, here in Kingston, Ontario, there's a hydrogeneration station uh, in Kingston, um, where over a two-day period, they recovered over 10,000 birds that had collided with just two emission stacks that were floodlit. They eliminated the floodlights uh, and replaced them with strobes, and the problem has almost stopped entirely since. So the nice thing about the nighttime issue, it's easily resolved. Daytime is more tricky. These birds, they are seeing either the reflection of the environment in the windows themselves, or they're seeing a clear passage to the adjacent side of those windows. Either way, to birds, glass does not exist. They do not understand the presence of glass, and they collide outright with those glass panels. And, and this is why this particular issue, the daytime issue, is considered the second leading cause of bird death across Canada. Uh, number one is cats. Um, so uh, again, just all the more reason we really need to take this issue seriously and find ways to reduce the threat. Ben, go ahead. Just to add to what Michael said, the, the effect of seeing the environment reflected around them for that reason, reflective glass is really, really bad. Um, and I know myself and other people who go out and uh, patrol for birds, uh, often it's buildings with reflective glass near greenery or near water sources nearby, uh, are ones that have a really high number of collisions. Um, and it's part of the reason when we say, what should building owners do to protect their buildings uh, so the birds don't collide with them? Having markers or something that uh, blocks their view of the glass on the first surface on the outside, something that cuts out the reflection, it's really, really important. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I'll also add that in the mind's eye, when people hear this issue of birds colliding with buildings, there's been a lot of awareness around tall, brightly lit structures being the, the main cause of the problem. But people automatically assume that these tall high rises are the bulk of the problem. And quite frankly, any structure from ground level up to roughly 16 meters in height is the hot spot for daytime bird building collisions, which means any structure causes a threat to these birds, not just the high rises. In fact, some of the worst locations that our volunteers monitor, uh, where we're finding just extreme numbers of birds at, at their base, are those structures that are maybe two, three stories high. They're not 50-story high rises. So it's really important for the listeners to understand that uh, so that we don't sort of assume that the taller the structure, the more deadly it is. That's great. Thank you. I think I would have had that assumption as well, that the higher buildings would be more dangerous. But it's interesting to hear that not as tall buildings are just as. Yeah. And so can you tell us about FLAP's building code program? And we can start with Michael. Certainly. The, the building code campaign sort of started as a result of a law that was introduced back in 2013 that actually made it illegal 
to harm or kill a migratory bird as a result of a collision with a window. Um, now, that sounds like we're all breaking the law. And in some, in some cases, that is the case. But th this is really designed for certain structures that are taking an excessive number of birds' lives, have the ability to mitigate that threat, and aren't doing anything about it. But before we can start forcing the law upon people, we have to we have to put systems in place to give people the opportunity to fix their structures uh, to make them safer for birds. So we we uh, ended up in working as a, a stakeholder. Flap worked as a stakeholder with some. 25 other stakeholders uh, through this Canadian Standards Association to write a bird-friendly building design standard for the province of Ontario. So what we're now doing is we're trying to get the Ontario Building Code to adopt the CSA standard so that all new structures across the entire province, ideally across the entire country, if we can get the federal building code to adopt it as well, um, will have to meet certain requirements to assure that their new buildings are safe for birds. Ben, do you want to say anything? Sure. So I'll just add, I think for us, having bird-friendly standards in the building code is sort of an extension of work that we've been doing before and been successful. So for example, um, through a lot of flap advocacy in particular, Toronto has some really great standards in the Toronto Green Standard that any developer has to do if they're doing a major renovation or new build in Toronto. Um, and so some of the key features of that and also the building code, uh, the markers have to be very close together. Anyone who's seen a songbird fly through a tree with dense branches, you sort of understand you really have to have markers that are tight. And the, in the, uh, the building code, it's uh, the five centimeter standard that we want to have. The markers have to be really visible, obviously, so the birds can see them. Up to the tree line, or in cases where you might, for example, have a rooftop garden, you need to treat the glass up there as well. Like Michael was saying, it's not the height of the building, it's the proximity of the building to other places where birds like to be. So for example, trees that are on those first couple of stories. Um, and then also, uh, like we were talking about before, having the marker on the outside of the glass or the first surface. Um, so we've seen this success, you can have municipality by municipality, uh, but with the Ontario Building Code and hopefully Canada-wide, we think it's now really important that this just become a standard everywhere and that'll have the most impact for saving birds' lives. And I, I will add that the, there is progress here. Uh, right now, there's 20 municipalities across the province of Ontario now that have now implemented some form of, of requirement for new builds to be safer birds, uh, to make the buildings safer birds uh, in mitigating collisions. And there's eight pending provinces uh, gearing up to do the same. So this is slowly but surely catching on. But you can imagine there's hundreds of municipalities across the province of Ontario. And we can't wait for each and every one of these municipalities to take their own initiative to deal with this issue because the, the, the birds just won't have the time uh, to, to have this take as long as it will. So this is why it's so important just to get the building code to embrace this issue. The challenge we have, and this is really important for people to understand, the building code is designed for human safety. It does not take wildlife into consideration. And, and building code, for the time being are digging their heels in saying they cannot change the code because it doesn't relate to human safety. And I, I say it's about time they do because uh, th this is a serious problem. And the other thing that's important for people to know is by saving birds' lives, we're actually saving ourselves. Th these birds that we find are creating a very, uh, they, they play a very important role in our ecosystem. Uh, you know, they they pollinate our plants, they distribute seeds, they control our insect populations, um, all of which makes a healthy natural environment for, for humans as well. So there is reason to say that this can, in fact, apply to human safety. 
by saving birds' lives. Yes, for sure. And I like the point that you brought up, like the birds can't wait. I mean, they're not going to know that these policies are slowly coming into being. It's They're just birds. That's right. I'm sure they want to live as well. Certainly do. And so talking about what is being done, how can people help protect birds from this concern themselves? And we can start with Ben. Yeah. So if you own a home where you have the ability to uh, control what's on the outside, if you live in a condo or an apartment building, especially if you're on the lower floors, which again are near uh, the vegetation, which attracts birds and they like to be there. Um, it's really important to treat your windows so that birds don't collide with them. There's a number of great options. One really popular one is feather-friendly marker tape. So it's sort of a, a double-sided peel-off tape. It has the markers on one side spaced the way that you want them. So you kind of um, put it on your window and then you can peel off the back and then the, the markers will be on your window left there at the right distance. Uh, but there's lots of other options too. We often talk about uh, soaping up windows during the migratory season especially. Um, you can have uh, a bug screen on the outside front of your window, and that can sometimes help. Um, or there are products, uh, for example, there's one that you have sort of bungee cords every five centimeters up and down your window. Um, and the important thing to know is sometimes people are a bit resistant because they think it might uh, spoil their view or make their windows look ugly. Um, but it's really not th that big of a problem as you, you think it is. And especially now, it's great. You see it in a lot of newer buildings around Toronto you realize you don't notice it as much. You can still enjoy the view um, and you can feel reassured that the windows in your home or other places that have good bird markers uh, are places that are safe for birds as well. And, and I will add that people should approach with caution the bird of prey decal technique. This was really one of the first products to arrive on the landscape years and years ago uh, as a way to reduce bird collisions with windows, whether that's your home, your cottage or your workplace. And research has reinforced time and time again that this technique doesn't work unless you cover 80% or more of the surface of your glass with decals. And aesthetically, that is unappealing. It's unrealistic. And it's not uh, how that particular technique was designed in the first place. So please stay away from the bird of prey decal because one or two stuck on your window will, won't do anything to reduce these strikes. Uh, look towards those markers like, Paul, uh, like um, uh, Ben said about feather friendly. Um, that these markers need to cover the entire surface of the glass in order to work effectively. Ben, go ahead. Yeah, I think a good example of the, the bird of prey decals Michael was talking about, anyone who's gone to old mill station, you can see those in some of those windows. And just having that one sticker on the middle of the window, like Michael said, it doesn't do anything. Sometimes we joke, you know, either birds are way too smart and they realize it's not a predator, um, or they're not smart enough and they just see it as an obstacle they can fly around. Um, so either way, uh, those don't work. You need to make sure you have markers that are visible on the outside and uh, densely spaced. And we can go to Michael. So when it comes to commercial structures, uh, since the standards were introduced uh, here in Toronto, then came the law, then came the provincial standard, we've seen a, a huge evolution in product that is right from the design stage where glass fabricators and window manufacturers are introducing Berkeley deterrent markers right into the glass themselves that meet these standards. And so one can treat an entire building if they want, whether it's a one-story structure or a hundred-story structure with Berkeley deterrent glass right from the design stage. Um, and this comes in the form of what they call frit patterns where they bake those markers right into the glass. They can silk screen on glass. They can etch into the glass. Uh, they can even apply window films that uh, can be applied during the manufacturing stage as well. 
Um, and the beauty of it is, the thing about this particular approach to perclusion mitigation is as long as you meet the formula of spacing, contrast, coverage on a window, you can put anything you want on your window. It can be any pattern uh, of, of your desire. It can be it can be art form. It can be a masterpiece, quite frankly. And to kind of give you an idea, this was this was resisted for the longest time by the architectural community until they were forced to embrace it through standards being introduced. Now that they've adopted this and they're starting to create these buildings with birds in mind, architects actually love it. They're, they're seeing that this is a an aesthetically peeling, you know, a different sort of approach to architectural design that's working to their advantage, not disadvantage in terms of aesthetics. That's great. Thank you for all the tips. And that's all I have to ask you guys, actually. Great. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I should say, if you want to learn more about FLAP, get involved, support us. We're a charity, so we always take donations. Our website is flap.org. Thanks again to Michael Mesher and Ben Coleman for talking with me today. And I'd also like to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in. Anyone out there who'd like to get involved with the Toronto Field Naturalists can visit their website at torontofieldnaturalists.org. Again, that's torontofieldnaturalists.org. Shout out to Paul Overy, the show coordinator, and once again, I'm Kiana for the newly renamed Met Radio. And this has been Toronto Nature Now. Make sure to tune in next time. 